Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Matt Padilla. Matt, how you doing, bud? Doing great. How are you? Living the dream as always. Can't complain. So let's go ahead and start off what we always start off with. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. Uh, yeah, so I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona, and I have three dogs. I only hunt with two of them, but I have a 13-year-old Golden Retriever, I have a 14-month-old setter, a Llewellyn setter, and I have an eight-month-old German short hair pointer. All right. So three different uh, breeds here. So you said that you hunt with two of them. I'm assuming it's the German short hair and the setter that you hunt with. Is that right? Yeah. So um, my golden retriever, you know, with work and everything, I, he's from, both of his parents are master hunters. So he's from hunting lines, but, um, I just never had the time, you know, I started training with him in the beginning and I just never had time to get out in the field. And with life, I've had a little bit more time recently and, um, got Murphy, my setter last August, almost a year ago and slowly realized I could hunt a lot more if I get another dog. So I figured I might as well just <laughs> rip the bandaid off and get both of them pretty close to each other the the classic glutton for punishment i guess you could say especially getting them that close together you're brave right there i mean it's not quite on the same level as litter mates but getting a a puppy that soon after another one you know that's uh that's a recipe for uh disaster in a lot of households yeah it's uh you know i don't have kids and to be completely honest with you i was actually looking for like a started or a finished dog so I got Murphy and and went through the whole hunting season or I was in the middle of the hunting season and started, you know, I, I looked at a dog from a trainer that was a German short hair. Um, and she was more of a, like a guide dog who had only lived in a kennel and, um, brought her home for a week. And he was like, you know, I see how she is in your house. And it, it just wasn't our lifestyle. I mean, we had the dogs around with us all the time. And so I reached out to a couple of different breeders asking them about started dogs and, I got really lucky. So Standing Stone actually was like, I have a puppy we're actually not going to keep, but you had to pick her up in a week. Um, got on a plane and picked her up. So now I have the two. And that so it wasn't initially the plan to get two puppies, but um, it, it worked out really well. Well, what's it been like kind of balancing out the the day-to-day stuff with two different puppies you know are that like are you kind of working or trying to work on the same stuff at the same time or is with each puppy something a little bit different personality wise and what they're you know what comes natural to them yeah you know it's it's honestly very different so i think there was a lot of things that i learned from murphy i think what we had been working on was quite a bit different so 
Um, I followed both of their training programs. So I got Murphy from Paint River and Kyle, whenever you purchase a dog from him, um, he has his own training program that he requires you to purchase as well. And it's a ton of footage and a ton of videos. So I trained Murphy according to that. And then Aria, the GSP, I was training her, you know, on standing stones, some of their video series that they had out and very different personalities, very different training styles. Um, I learned a lot from Murphy, him being my first, my first pointing dog I've ever had. So there was some things, you know, also Kyle doesn't have as much of an emphasis, or at least his videos didn't as far as like obedience. And that's one thing um, with the German short hair that I think that we drilled in a lot more with her. So yeah, it's it's been quite a bit of a difference of training and, and personalities for sure. That's awesome. But you kind of have two different, I don't know, test results. It's like you had an A-B test within the household with, you know, two different breeds and two different results on two different approaches. Like that's going to fast track your learning curve, obviously. I mean, tell me what was it like, you know, did you have a preference one way or the other, one approach over the other, or is it just kind of falls more or less in line, you know, with each individual dog because each, you know, Ethan and Kyle both, you know, they, they have their structure based around their genetics and what kind of dogs they produce. But did you have a personal preference when it comes to either one of them? Not necessarily. And, you know, as I was listening to some of your other pod- podcasts, like the, um, I think it was called like trainer wars or, or something that you <laughs> trainer fight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that so many people put so much emphasis on there needs to be a, a, a specific way that you train a dog. And some trainers do that. You know what I mean? They're like, no matter what I train the dog through these steps, with going through both of these programs and with two very different personalities and types of dogs, I'm a firm believer now of like, you need to train the dog based on the type of personality it is. And if I tried a lot of the standing stone techniques, which some of them I did try, um, their dogs are a little bit more, you could put a lot more pressure on them. Whereas Kyle's dogs are very soft. You can't put nearly as much pressure. So you definitely now going through both programs, you definitely need to tailor it more so towards the dog rather than just thinking that there's going to be a one size fits all that's going to fit all dogs. And it definitely has fast tracked me. You know, I, um, I'm the type of person who just jumps in head first and wants to learn everything I can possibly about a, a subject, you know, if it's reloading or whatever it may be. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people in the the dog training world that I've met are kind of similar personalities and, um, so it's been interesting seeing both of those programs. And I think it's also made me better as a trainer moving forward. I think I'll be able to train my third dog even better, whether it's one of these two breeds or a different breed. Yeah, that's, uh, what we named her after. Exactly. Now who's Murphy after, is it just, you know, what can go wrong, will go wrong, that type of dog. And so you just named him Murphy. <laughs> well, it's kind of been his personality. So it's definitely, he's lived up to that uh, reputation, but um, honestly, it was more like uh, we had a, a bunch of different names and we didn't really know we brought him home and he just kind of had like this older man face and we just, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, it, it matched just eyes and personality. Well, that's awesome, man. It, you know, it is it is impressive that you have 
two puppies, two completely different breeds, two completely different personalities, two completely different training methods, and you're making it work and you just jumped in. I mean, that's that's admirable in a lot of ways because enough people, they honestly struggle just figuring out how to do it with one dog, with one method. So, you know, what was it like, uh, as you said, you kind of fully immerse yourself when you get into something beyond you know, Kyle's training program and Ethan's, what other resources were you kind of using to, to figure this out as you went along? Um, you know, obviously multiple podcasts. So I listened to your podcast and a couple others, um, videos, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I like a visual. So I, I bought a couple of books. Like I bought the, uh, the Ronnie Smith kennels book and I don't know, I, you know, I, I kind of took bits and pieces. And at first I, I tried to throw a lot more at the wall. And then I figured out over time, like I just stuck with Kyle's program and he was also a good resource as well, but seeing other people, you know, I met a lot of people in the community just in the past year, um, seeing how they train their dogs. And, um, now I'm getting involved with NAVDA because standing stone, you know, they require you to at least do the NA tests, you know, started doing NAVDA. So now I'm seeing that style of training as well, which is a lot different. You know, I took my setter and, they wanted me to like stand him up and, you know, make him look proper. And I'm like, I like him laying down. Like I, I want him to look like a cat, like sneaking up on the, so it's, it's interesting seeing a lot of the different, which is fine. I'm going to train my GSP more of that style, but um, the little nuances and everyone's preferences has been a fun journey to see, but um, kind of just took in as many resources as I, as I could, to be honest with you. And I mean, to me, I mean, obviously, if you've been listening to me for for any stretch of time, you kind of understand that that's kind of how I live by this is like, there's so much valuable information across the board. You know, it's like each venue, each organization, each trainer, each breeder, they all have their own different things. And so like, I try and learn and consume all of it. And then just try and pick a park like part what maybe the common threads amongst all of them and then kind of try and turn it into my own thing to where if you can take such a wide range and a wide diversity of approaches and method methodologies and and just theories and you find what's common amongst all of them, it's like if you can find the, those similarities between all of them, then it's got to be right. If all of them agree on it and they all have drastically different approaches, that's that's at least how I look at it. 100%. I'm totally with you. Um, it's funny. I'm listening to another podcast. I listen to this podcast called History on Fire, and I'm listening to a, a podcast about Bruce Lee right now. And the thing that made him different was that he took like every style of martial arts and just took what's what was best from them. So it's it's interesting because there's so much history with something like that. And that's what made him so great at what he did. So it's exactly what you're talking about with dog training, too. And taking as many philosophies as you can and filtering through. And, you know, there's some things like Kyle's probably on one end of the spectrum and then Standing Stone is probably on the other. So it's, it's kind of interesting that I have the two dogs in my household. but. Um, there's some things that I really agree with on with Kyle, and then there's other things that I agree with more with, you know, Cat and Ethan style. And I think that's what makes us better as dog trainers ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing that, you know, I have the privilege of doing, especially after specific or certain episodes, is getting the feedback from people like Ethan or Kyle, you know, every now and then there's a subject or a, or a or a guest that I have on and I actually get to get feedback from resources such as Kyle and Ethan. And so that, that kind of, you know, not everybody has that, 
that benefit like I do, but it is neat getting to put something out there that is in stark, you know, contrast to how one of them does it. But then hearing their feedback and how they view it, it kind of rounds out my experience in learning other methods as well. And so it is more time consuming, though. You know, not everybody has the time or the desire to really do that big of a deep dive to where a lot of people, it's just like, you know, maybe just picking the, you know, one method and, and there's something to be said for doing one thing and doing it really well. Right. Yeah. But, you know, when you start mixing breeds, start mixing different personalities from different kennels, different lines, uh, I find, or at least I like to think that having a wide array of experience or knowledge really helps in that regard. Definitely. I agree. So you got these dogs, you have the two puppies. What's your prime? You're in Arizona. So you're in prime. I mean, there's, I was down there this past January. You guys obviously have a, a healthy wild bird population right now. And, and, you know, your gamble scale and Merns, are those what you're primarily chasing? Or do you kind of have a little secret, you know, hideaway or getaway up to California and get up into, you know, California quail or mountain quail or something? No, I pretty much stuck with all Arizona quail. Luckily, my parents, um, live outside of Tucson. So they actually live like on the turnoff going to like Sonoida and Patagonia, which is perfect. So I use that as kind of like my base camp. And my focus was on Merns, you know, with a young dog, it was perfect. There was a lot of learning because I'm going into new areas I've never hunted before. By the end of the season, you know, I had a handful of really productive spots. The dog was performing really well. And Kyle's philosophy with training was get them on a ton of pigeons and then hunting season starts and try to get them on as many wild birds as you can. And it definitely paid off. And the Burns quail are great. I I hunted some, you know, gambles. I didn't hunt scale quail too much. I hunted them with just one day, Um, but they run a lot. So if your dog is not experienced, it's kind of confusing for them, I found. So did you find, did you find that the scales were running on you more so than the gambles? We didn't get in a ton of scales because I just hunted him the one day. I would say the gambles were running like crazy. And it was Dude, towards the it's the insane. <laughs> and it's like you see them and then you get to the spot that they're at. And then you see them that far again. Um, <laughs> right. So if you don't get them up, you're, you're kind of screwed. And with the Merns, I mean, you can almost step on them sometimes. So sometimes they'll flush and you'll shoot. And then you go and take another step a couple, like a minute later. And then more flush out from right under you. Um, so for a young dog, that was perfect because they held really well and, and he performed really well. You know, I basically had him conditioned to recall and was taking him out there. So he was really young at that point. I mean, he was like six months whenever I was taking him on his first hunting trips and we didn't get in a ton of birds at first, but by the end of the season, like I said, it was pretty productive and got, a, got a lot of contacts. Now, now he's, he's shaping up really well and now he's working on steadiness and he just turned a year old and um he he's completely steady on to flush but now i'm getting him um steady to wing shot and fall at this point yeah i mean the those quail man each one kind of offers something kind of distinct and different uh you know i've said it on the podcast before where i went down there for some reason i had in my head that gambles was going to be my favorite for some reason i don't know if it's just like i just had a had a secret, you know, appreciation for how they look comparative to to the other two. I don't know, but that was just what I had in my head. And then I figured it was going to be Merns and then Scale, and then it was the exact opposite. Like, I left there to where I freaking love Scale Quail. And, I mean, the Merns was cool, 
I didn't get to actually shoot at a Mearns though. So the only time we got into Mearns, I was carrying a, a camera. So like I didn't actually get to shoot. And then the one walk I did get with a shotgun, of course, you don't come across any uh, as part of it. Of course. And they're harder to come across. So I feel like you don't get as much action with Mearns either. Yeah, but they do hold. But one thing that I found is really, uh, especially with Rachel, my short hair, and we, and we had this with a couple other dogs, so it wasn't just her, we really got scale coil to play ball for us. They weren't they weren't running that bad. It's like if you found them in the right uh, grassy areas, they really held. I, I actually was just going through a bunch of footage the other night. I was looking for a couple clips to go into a video I'm working on, and I came across one to where Rachel's on point and Lucy's back in her, and I'm out front kicking around and nothing's getting up. I figure it's a non-productive. They ran out, and I release them, and the bird's sitting right in front of Rachel, like five yards away. So it held tight as can be. And so like they will hold if you find them in the right, I guess, habitat or cover, which I guess you could say that with a lot of birds, but certain birds like gambles, you know, they just have skates on. Yeah. They just run like crazy. It's just insane, man. They're just running. <laughs> yeah. And scale quail, I think is probably going to be one of my bigger focuses this year. It's probably going to be mostly scale quail and, and, Mern's quail but yeah it, i kind of had this a similar experience the the one day that we did hunt scaled they got up initially and they got up pretty actually really far in front of us so, so i don't know what startled them but this big cubby we got into and then you were able to just the the, the individuals just held super tight whereas gamble feel like sometimes they'll hit the ground and then they just take off running again so I got to ask, you know, with you going, you know, all the way up to Kyle to get your setter, is he bugging you to get up in rough grouse territory or is he just kind of comfortable knowing that his pup is down there chasing uh, desert birds? I think he's just excited that he's starting to have some people branch out because I know he, I think he has someone in Utah and in um, Colorado. So I think he's starting to get dogs, you know, across the country. So I think he's just excited that, that he has another dog hunting different birds. I'd love to get up there at some point, you know, this year, our trip, it's our 10 year anniversary for my wife and I, um, yeah, we're going to go to Montana for, uh, we're actually going to Saskatchewan and then just right across the border. And then we're going to be in Montana for the pheasant opener. So we're going to hunt some huns and, um, sharp tail and pheasants. So that'll, that'll be our start kickoff to the season this year. That, that'll be a blast, man. Montana was uh, something special for me last year. I don't know if you, you heard that episode or not, but it is uh, is definitely, that was the trip that, you know, Upland Dreams are made of that I, I did last year. And uh, not to knock, you know, Arizona or anything else, but the Montana trip was something special. So, as you know, you've been listening to the podcast. I ask the same two questions on on all profile episodes, the first of which, as I always like to get a relatable story or example of something that you screwed up training your own dog because we all screw up we all learn from it it's you know nobody goes into this never screwing up so what's an example of something that you did that you're just like yeah i'm, I'm never gonna do that again or at least hopefully never do that again so I, I think i've heard this same story from a couple people which my advice is make sure your dog is and you never know until your dog gets around birds but make sure your dog is very steady or very reliable to recall. So the week before Mern's quail season opened here, we went out to preserve and I just wanted to get, so I have, I raised pigeons. So I had them a ton of bird contacts, but nothing, I hadn't shot any birds yet. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the preserve. I'm going to shoot some birds over him. So we get out to the preserve and in Arizona, there's two places. And I went to one 
and I didn't realize, but it was just open fields and let the dog loose points, the first bird, shoot the bird, the bird goes down. I don't think he marked it. He just ran like 500 yards. I mean, he just <laughs> ran forever because we had just let him chase the pigeons out of the trap up until that point took forever to get him back. We finally get him back and he goes on point again, but he's also in between like chasing every Tweety bird. Now he's just like bird crazy. Like he's just like, you know, gone completely insane at that point. So he puts up another bird. We shoot another bird and same thing. He just runs forever. So lesson learned there was um, one, make sure you're probably in in closer quarters because once we got into Mern's country, it's bigger bushes and stuff and he wouldn't move as far. Um, but also super reliable on recall. So that's probably the biggest mistake that I had made. Yeah, just church up that recall before you go out in the middle of nowhere. And and like you said, man, it's it's always funny when I'm with somebody who gets to witness their first bird drunk dog. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those, you'll see dogs kind of get amped up and you'll see their drive come out. But when we when I refer to a dog as bird drunk, it's like you you can tell there's a difference between a dog that is just amped up and a dog that is actually bird drunk because like when they're when they're that hopped up, like you you're not getting through to them. It's like their eyes glaze over. It, I mean, it's just like you just might as well go put them back up in the truck for a while because they are just they're unreachable in a lot of ways. Hundred percent, and it's a good problem to have if you're in some wild birds and d- doing that. But yeah, you know, you you do that with a young puppy, and you don't have a quality recall or a way to you know get them back on that. Then you know you might be might be out there a while waiting on your dog to come back, or you're you're out there looking for them, or or worse even, especially in some of the territory that y'all are at. Yeah, exactly, and. You know, my wife ran after him for about 500 yards to get him back. <laughs> but like I said, then he was just bird drunk and every Tweety bird that flew. And that took a long time. That was interesting to work through is, I mean, pretty much any bird he saw for a while, he was crazy about. But now now he finally understands the difference of it. Well, what did you do on that? Did you just just ignore the Tweety birds or did you do anything special? Start calling them off? Like what did, what, what was your process on getting them through that? Through Kyle's training program, um, I, you do recall with a beeper. So I, I run the Garmin and I do the tone to, to get him to either. If I beep him once, he's really good now about just turning and changing direction. So I would either call him off or beep him. And eventually, you know, it, I feel like as he got older and he realized like that's the smell of the birds and what they look like or the sound of the birds flushing is different. So I think now he, he can make that difference, but it took a while. I mean, it took probably half of the hunting season. I mean, it was like, he would see any bird and, and start at least following them for a little bit. Now he's completely broken from that. So honestly, they, I say just more time than anything. That's what I tell. It's a pretty common uh, question that I get asked a lot, especially going into hunting season. It's like, Oh, my dog loves, you know, kill deer my dog loves robins whatever and what do i do i'm like they'll grow out of it they'll figure out what birds you shoot at which ones you don't but then kind of to your point if you if you get consistent in the timing right if they start chasing those birds or something and and you recall them off that they learn pretty quick to anticipate that recall and they'll just start self-checking themselves yeah exactly and you know i tried not to overdo that because i also didn't want him to be like too sticky or anything like that so like it's like that fine line balance but honestly it was over time and i think they realized like they're not going to get the satisfaction of a retrieve or a point 
So, you know what I mean? Eventually they learn like that bird's not going to give me that, that end result. So then they just, they stop doing it over time. How, how is Murphy's uh, retrieve drive as a setter? I know it's hit or miss. You know, mine is mine is kind of an interesting thing in of itself. She's about to turn a year old and, and she'll sit here and come inside indoors. She'll just keep bringing me stuff. She'll just, she just wants me to throw stuff all day for her. Then you go outside and she has one thing on her mind and that's to go find birds. So she has the retrieve drive in her, but that's not what's really propelling her to find the birds, right? So like I have it in there to work with later when I get through this hunting season. But for right now, it's just like, you know, I got a setter to go burn up the field and find birds. So it's like, by all means, go do that. We'll worry about retrieving later. Yeah, kind of similar situation. So Murphy's whole first season didn't have any, I mean, he'll, he would run up to the birds and just point the dead birds, which I'm like, Hey, whatever, that's fine. That's actually one of the reasons why I sought out more of a versatile breed. Well, it's funny. Cause as soon as I got my GSP in the off season, it's like now, and I, I think also doing so many pigeons that were homers that, that I didn't shoot maybe hindered that a little bit because now he finally made that connection of like, he's going to shoot the bird. So it's funny because it's the opposite. Honestly, like one day it, it just clicked with him and now he's like a retrieving machine, which is funny because that's why I went and got a GSP. Um, but that's probably the biggest issue I'm having with studying him. So if I don't shoot the bird, I can shoot the shotgun off. I can shoot a cap gun. He'll stand there completely steady until I, until I release him. As soon as I, he sees that bird get shot, <laughs> he's just breaking. So that's what I'm working through now. So now it's like, Going back, I'm probably going to put them back on a Cato board, and I'm going to sh- I'm going to launch birds in front of them and shoot the birds rather than just launch them with a cap gun and go back a little bit. But um, you know, that's now he now he's all about retrieving. He still doesn't know how to pick up the bird very well and doesn't handle them the best. But honestly, if if he's bringing them back, I, I'm less worried about trying to clean up his retrieve as I am probably with my short hair in, in the future. Yeah, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense. So the other question that I ask everybody on these profile episodes, you said that you've been listening to the to the show for a little bit. Is there something that sticks out in your in your head, uh, a, an episode guest topic, something that we've addressed that really sticks out to you to, as a favorite, something that maybe helped you out in some regards? Um, yeah, I would say the one that I keep telling the most people to go to. So the most common thing I find is everyone's trying to find pigeons and I still find pigeons to shoot as well. But the two part pigeon episode I've listened to probably like four times. I raise my own pigeons. Now my wife helps me out out a lot with that. So that was its whole process and learning experience in itself. That was a really hard process to go through. And that, that podcast really helps kind of accelerate that a little bit. And there's, there's some resources and, you know, some books and stuff on it. But honestly, that's probably the most condensed amount of information to get you started that I've found. Awesome. I, I'm glad to hear that. Anthony, man, he, I could milk him for information all, all day long when it comes to pigeons. And then, all, you know, even, you know, the Jag Terriers and uh, Drots. This is like, you know, he's just a fun guy to talk to. He, he really loves it for the right reasons. And I love catching up with him whenever I get the chance, but those pigeon episodes were a blast. What did you think about, did you get a chance to listen to the uh, trapping pigeon episode that I did recently? I have not. It's on my list. I saw that it was released like a week or two ago. So yeah, definitely going to listen to that because I'm paying $5 a pigeon for shooter pigeons right now. Um, so I'm probably going to start trapping some. 
Um, I found like a local exterminator guy that I buy them from down the street, but $5 a pigeon, whenever you're trying to study your dog, I mean, it helps that I have homers, but I need to start shooting a lot over him. This starts to add up if every weekend I'm buying, you know, five or six of them. Oh yeah. Trust me. You, you're preaching to the choir here. I've, you know, before I had pigeons and land and all that stuff, I was doing it just like everybody else. I was driving an hour and a half to go get birds in one direction, then had to go back the other way. And so it was like three hours back the other opposite direction to go to the training grounds. And so, you know, you're not only paying for the birds, which, you know, then it was like seven, eight dollars a chucker back then. They're even more expensive now. That was just four or five years ago. Uh, now it's, they're 10, $12 a lot of the time now, but you know, you start adding in gas, the cost of birds, the time and that it takes to do all that, man, it's, you, you, you really got to want it. I tell everybody like anybody can do this. I, I firmly believe that that's why I'm doing this podcast as long as I've been doing it. But you, you have to decide, do you actually want to do it or do you just think you want to do it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a lot of time and a lot of money commitment. Definitely. It goes into it. It's been an awesome ride, though, and I, I think homing pigeons is probably the, the best thing that anyone can do, and I, I've told so many people that and have helped a couple people get started a little bit, but if there's one thing you could do, if you're get get another, if you get, if you getting a puppy I w- and you haven't done this before, I would get pigeons 100%. Yeah, I tell everybody, and I mean, it is doable, you know, unless an HOA or wherever you're living has, has rules against it. I mean, even the people in, you know, quarter acre lots. I know people that are getting, you know, little four or five bird coops. It, 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 it is doable and, and it does help out and you can do some drills local in your area, even in your backyard with homing pigeons. I mean, they're invaluable. I mean, really the only downfall, so to speak, is that you can't shoot them. You know, you want them home and back, so you don't want to shoot them. Uh, besides that, I mean, the, the daily time, it's, it's pretty minimal as long as you, you kind of give the setup some thought before you go just throwing pigeons in a box yeah definitely and on, honestly now that we have them it's it's kind of fun to watch them fly and oh yeah dude fly around the house they're really pretty most of mine are white so it's cool watching them people laugh at me when i say like you actually get attached to your pigeons some of them have very clear personalities i got some that like i can hold my hand out and they'll just kind of hop on it and you know there's one in particular if i have food it'll just fly down and and she's like my best flyer and i'm just like all right you know that you have your your ones that if a hawk picks off you're like ah that sucks but then you have the others that if a hawk picks off you're you're, you want to go to war with the hawks (laughs) is kind of a similar situation we had a we were training with some other people and um, one of the guys had a draw hard and he he jumped into the trap and killed the bird. And it was one of the first birds we had gotten. Oh. And it was like, it was kind of like an emotional thing. It, not, I wasn't like crying or anything, but I was like, man, that sucks. That's one of the original birds. You know what I mean? Or if they don't come back, you're like, man, that's, that's one of the birds that I actually like. So you definitely start to get attached to them. You do, man. You do. Well, Matt, I mean, we can sit here and BS about pigeons and dogs and hunting all all night long, but I appreciate you making the time and coming on and sharing your story. It sounds like you've had a lot of fun uh, venturing in with two puppies and, you know, it's, uh, I'm glad to see that it's working out for you and I'll be interested to see as you move along, you know, circle back and hit me up and and let me know how the two different training approaches are working out and, and, uh, all that fun stuff. You have a, you have a lot to look forward to between a short hair and a setter puppy, two completely different dogs, but, uh, you, you're going to have some fun either way. Yeah. It's, it's been an awesome journey and I'm excited for 
this second season under my setter, I think he's gonna he's gonna do much better. So it's only it's only gonna keep improving each season. So I'm I'm excited. Well, I hope so. That's that's kind of the goal here. But again, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll we'll talk back soon here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.